0: They then brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives up demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand if satan drives out satan he is divided against himself how then can his kingdom stand and if i drive out demons by visible by whom do your people drive them out so then they will be your judges but if it is by the spirit of god that i drive out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. This is the word of the Lord.
1: It's great to see all of you, um, and welcome once again, um, if you've joined us from the beginning. Could I ask that you take out your Bible, whatever form it is, if it's uh, electronic, or if you have a physical Bible, I'm sure that would help you. We're going through this series um, through chapters 11 to 13 of Matthew, and I just want you to go through and read it for yourselves, and, and let, let's hear God's word um, together. But let me uh, bow, and let's pray together as we begin. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that it, our hearts it, conv, it will convict our sins and it, it convict us of our sins and convict us of the amazing grace that's on the offer. and Lord, we pray uh, now your word will make us uh, assured uh, that we are saved in, by your name and by the work of your Son Jesus. in Jesus name, we pray. Amen., Yeah, not, not your turn. Um, did you know that one in six—it's fine. Um, yep, yeah, one in six Americans in one in six Americans actually don't believe in this picture or the moon landing. They deny it. They they have all sorts of conspiracy theories about what happened. They believe it's not that they're completely crazy. They have their reasons for believing this. They they think that the uh, U.S. had staged this um, so that uh, to proclaim superiority over Soviet Union uh, during the Cold War. And they point out many things, like the fact that actually, why is the why is the um, the the flag fluttering? Right, they're in space. They they ask, or they say. I'm going to take this off actually. Uh, they say um, if they've landed, uh, if the lunar module landed on um, on in the moon, underneath, there's no disturbance, and the dust looks pretty clean, how could that be, they, they ask, or they ask, why is it that there's so many people taking photos, but actually, if you see the reflections, uh, reflected uh, in the visor, you don't see anybody sort of taking photos, why is that? Well, actually, all these things have answers. But no matter what answers you give these people, they're just not convinced. They're not convinced by your reasoning. They're not convinced by the evidence. Because actually, the problem isn't the evidence. The problem isn't that this, is cle- this isn't any clear against the
0: facts.
1: Well, actually, this, something like that happens in Matthew 11 to 13 right? Jesus does many things. He heals people. He does all these things. But there are some people who will make up theories, conspiracy theories, and say, actually, that Jesus is not the Son of God. And so we hear that story yet again in chapter 12. So if you can open up to chapter 12, let's go through it, 1 through 32. Although many healing miracles are recorded in the Bible, this one is it's special, right? Because as we see in verse 1, that this person was demon-possessed. He's demon-possessed, and that's why he's mute and blind. And Jesus, the Bible is outdated, uh, a book, and the people back then believed in all sorts of crazy things, and we don't believe this anymore. But is it really that simple? If you've been to Shatin Church for a while, I hope you've been convinced that the Bible is not just a simple, superstitious book. It's actually a really sophisticated book. It's a really nuanced book. And actually, if we see the world through the lens of the Scripture, we actually see the world better. I mean, take, for example, something like a, a disease. When you are sick, what you can say, actually, it has a physiological cause, right? Maybe there's some... some like iron deficiency or something, right? But actually, there might be a psychological cause that triggered that, right? We are complex. And actually, it's, not, it's often not either or. It's actually both often. And we imagine the world kind of like this, too. I don't know if you've seen this. We imagine the world kind of the, the realm of the flesh. And then there are sort of structures and culture and that sort of stuff, world. And then there's Satan, as if there are three separate sort of realms. Actually, that's not quite right. The world is more like this, right? All these things, Satan, the world, the culture, the, our body, our mind, they're all sort of interacting with each other. They're so all one. It's complicated. We are complex. Often, modern people present, present themselves and they think that they are more sophisticated than us or than people who believe in God because they don't believe in the supernatural. And the Bible says, actually... That's a really naive view of the world. If you believe that all the evils in this world have natural causes, that there's no supernatural sa- like being, uh, Satan or evil forces, well then you are naive. You're not going to see the world correctly. You're not going to see the world uh, with clear eyes. The Bible says we need to look at the world with the realm, uh, with the supernatural realm in mind as well. The devil is alive and active, and we need to know that. But what it says, what Jesus says here is really that in the whole world, there are two kingdoms at work. Two kingdoms at work. Verse 26, Jesus calls Satan's kingdom his kingdom. And verse 28 Jesus says there is a kingdom of God that he has brought. He is the son of David who has brought the kingdom of God to earth. The world, uh, the kingdom of God is forcefully approaching. It has come, and one sign that, kingdom, that that kingdom has arrived, verse 28, evil beings, demons are being driven away by the power of the Spirit of God. But I want to add that just because there are two kingdoms presented, it doesn't mean that two kingdoms are equal, right? The two kingdoms are not equal kingdoms. Uh, Think about it this way. Uh, This is what I mean. In the Gospels, there's never a fight between Jesus and, and, and demons. You know what happens when demons from far away see Jesus? Do you know what happens? They don't run away. They think it's useless to run away. They run towards Jesus. They bow down before Jesus, and they beg for forgiveness from Jesus. They say, did you come to hurt us? Please don't hurt us, because they know that it's not a fight. God does not fight with Satan. He, 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 has, he has everything under firm control. And in our story today, we don't see the evil spirit kicking and screaming and fighting with Jesus as he comes out. No, he comes out. Jesus, I don't, it, was, it must have been unremarkable that actually Matthew does not record what happened, right? Jesus doesn't fight with the evil spirits because it's easy for him. I don't know exactly why. I don't know why, why exactly God has allowed Satan to roam over the world, why he, he seems to have this influence, why he's called the prince of this world. I don't know exactly why. The Bible doesn't tell us, but the Bible does tell us that his power is limited. The Bible does tell us that in due time, God will get rid of Satan and all the evil forces in this world. He will do that. The evil one has no power. So that's why we don't need to uh, fear the evil one. The evil one has no power over those who belong to Jesus, over those who are secure in their identity in Christ, people who know that they belong to Christ. But don't be naive. Don't be naive in thinking that we can just ignore it. We, can, we don't have to think about it at all because the, the, the devil is roaming, right, like a lion waiting to devour us. And Jesus says, I mean, Paul says, our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Understand and factor in the fact that actually evil spirits are around. We don't need to fear it, but we need to know what's going on as we see the reality around us. So Jesus comes, and he drives evil spirits away, and there, he gives a clear choice. There is a, the, the kingdom of, of, of Satan, and there's the kingdom of God. But even when Jesus gives this clear picture of what's going on, some people, it seems, want to side with Satan. Some people seem uh, that they, they're so set against Jesus that they would rather um, uh, fight against uh, uh, Christ. The Pharisees, make up the story how, the, the, um, how the, uh, Jesus is driving out the evil spirits by, verse 24, beelzebub the, the lord of flies, the prince of demons. They're so completely set against Jesus, they simply won't believe. And the next section in, this, in the Bible reads like how Jesus would talk to a conspiracy theorist. Right? They say, "No, he is possessed by the evil spirit." And then Jesus uses logic and reason to explain how that can't possibly be. So, in verse 25 to 26, he first asks, "What sense? What sense would it make for the kingdom to be divided like this? If a kingdom is divided like this, if a city is divided like this, if a house is like uh, divided like this, can it stand?" Of course, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. It can't stand. Think about a, a, a sports team. You know, LeBron James just won uh, the NBA championship, right? If LeBron was playing secretly against his own team, can that team? Could that team have won the NBA championship? Of course not. You can't have one team play and have some members play against itself and still expect to win. It doesn't make any sense. This strategy doesn't make sense. And then Jesus adds in verse 27, how about your own exorcists? He p- points out sort of the double standard because uh, Jewish historian Josephus and other people tell us that actually around that time that there were Jewish exorcists, people who were driving out demons in God's name. And actually, they think that, that it, is, it is done by God's name. It is done by God's power. And Jesus says, well, how about yours? How can you hold that standard with them and you say that I am driving out demons um, by, demon, by, by the devil himself? No, verse 29. If the demons are being driven out, it's because Jesus is the stronger king who has come, who's knocked down the door of the kingdom of Satan and is binding up to Satan to plunder his kingdom because the kingdom of God has arrived here on earth, verse 28. So, that, so once again, he then draws a clear line on the sand, verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now there are some questions in life that are great, answers. It's not this or that, but it's many, it's both and more. There are some questions um, that, you know, if you look at it from one perspective, you get this answer. From another perspective, you get another answer. The question of Jesus's identity is not one of those questions. To those people who were there, to those people who saw uh, Jesus driving out demons, to those people who saw Jesus healing people, there's only one clear answer as to who Jesus is. He is the son of God, the, 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 the descendant of David, the king who was promised to come. Jesus came from the line of David. He healed the sick in Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorus, and in, in all these in, in, in cities of Galilee. He healed people. He drove out demons. He raised the dead. He calmed the raging storm. He fulfilled all these prophecies uh, of the Old Testament. You know, it's kind of denying the moon landing. It's crazy. But, you know, you can say, well, I mean, it's kind of hard to believe, so maybe, you know, this happened. Denying that that Jesus is the Son of God is like uh, seeing, for them, it's like seeing the moon in in a night of a full moon. The moon is right there. And if I say to you, the moon is right there, and you say, well, I don't see it, or I can't see it. I I I don't think that's the moon. It's like that. Or you say something like, well, I think it's like a holographic you know, projection or something. You know, it, it's right there. If you're denying it, right? or if you don't make up your mind about it, if I say the moon is right there, and you say, well, I see, maybe. I can't quite make up my mind. You're with the moon deniers. Right? You're with the conspiracy theorists. That's what Jesus is saying the choice for them should be so clear that neutrality is not an option. But we are, in we live in 2020. You might say, well, actually, I mean, it's not quite like that for me because I wasn't there. I wasn't with the Galileans. I didn't see all these miracles. And if Jesus did those miracles now, I would surely believe in him. Well, you might you have a point there, right? Um, maybe you need more time to explore the evidence and to see what's there. Maybe you need God to come and actually speak to you and touch you in a certain way. But I still want to harden that no matter what God does in your life, no matter what evidence God gives you, you say, "Well, I, that's just not enough." It's a dangerous thing to stay in neutral with Jesus. It's a dangerous thing, and don't deny the evidence that God gives you, you have to make up your mind at some point. But what we see again and again is that people deny Jesus, no matter what God does, even in in, in the face of... It's the warning about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. And William Cooper... Uh, was a hymn writer who was a close friend uh, to uh, John, uh, John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. Uh, they wrote lots of hymns together. They wrote a hymn uh, book together. He, uh, William Cooper wrote God Moves in, in One Point because he was obsessed that he might have uh, committed this unforgivable sin, and he got so depressed that he was committed to a mental institution. It's a dangerous thing. I know people who have, similar, who have had similar thoughts or who are church members, So let's ask, what's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? What is it? Well, I think the context is our best help here. The Pharisees, despite all the evidence in front of them, opposed Jesus. And on top of that, they made up conspiracy theories about how Jesus must have been possessed by the evil one, by Beelzebub, rather than admitting that Jesus is the Son of God, right? At the face of this clear evidence, they oppose Jesus, and they accuse. But is it really just about the words? Is it because they said these words that they can't be forgiven? I I don't think so. Um, Because those words are unforgivable because they betray the condition of their heart. We're going to get into this next week a bit more, but look down to verse 34. Chapter 12, verse 34 you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. Jesus doesn't mince any words there, right? You brood of vipers, you evil. But what he's saying is, you are saying these things because your heart is said against me, because your heart is evil. It's not the words. The problem is with their heart. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit are words that show the evilness of the heart, that rejects and opposes Jesus at the face of overwhelming evidence. I'm not sure what William Cooper um, said or thought that he thought that he might have uh, committed the unforgivable sin. But the fact that he was thinking about this shows that he didn't commit the unforgivable sin. Right, because it's not just something about saying these words at the fit of rage, right? Because you're really angry at something, and you got God, I hate you, or whatever it is. Even the most blasphemous words against God, it's not the words; it's the heart that is set against God. That, that that's the problem. It's much more serious than just saying something. The context tells tells us that. The rest of the New Testament tells us that. That the only unforgivable sin is rejecting the source of forgiveness, Jesus Christ, turning against the Holy Spirit who's there to give us a new heart. That's the only unforgivable sin. And perhaps a better way to see this, another way to see this, is uh, to see the unbelievable offer of forgiveness that's given here. Take a look at verse 31 and 32. Again, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. You know, people are so evil that we invent ways of doing evil, ways of sinning. Every kind of sin can be forgiven cheating on tests, lying, greed, lust, envy, adultery, selfishness, stealing, backstabbing, abortion, murder, anger, whatever the sin is, all kinds of sins can be forgiven. It will be forgiven in Jesus Christ. Even the words, to emphasize this, Jesus says, even the words said against the Son of Man can be forgiven. I mean, can it get any bad, like, clearer than that? You know, we've been talking about how, Jesus has been talking about how great he is, right? A couple weeks back, Jesus said that John the Baptist is the greatest man who ever lived because he got to introduce me. Because I brought the kingdom of God, and he's the one who introduced me. He's the greatest man who ever lived. I mean, could you imagine saying me saying something like that to, like, Niels? Niels is a great man because he, he gets to work with me. He gets to introduce me. But Jesus, that's what Jesus said. John the Baptist is the greatest man who has ever lived because he got to introduce me. And he says, words that are said against me, against, the, against me can be forgiven. And St. Paul is a prime example of that, right? St. Paul, Paul hated Christianity. He must have despised the work of the Holy Spirit. He persecuted. He was there when 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 someone was stoned, Stephen was stoned to death. He was watching over the closet, approving. He went and persecuted the church, but when he repented, he became as white as snow. He was forgiven. His guilt was gone. None of you are worse than Saint Paul and whenever you turn to Christ you will be forgiven you see all sins no matter how grave can be forgiven it's preposterous to think that Jesus would turn away anyone who truly is coming to him you know repenting can you imagine Jesus saying oh but actually when you were 16 you said those words so you're out can you imagine him saying that saying that of course not his grace is much bigger than that it's the only uh, the only unforgivable sin is turning away jesus turning away the holy spirit the source about him because he says whoever is not with him is against him sitting on the fence and remaining there is a vote for the prince of demons but Jesus says no matter what you've done if you turn to him you will be forgiven. So shout in church. I want you are forgiven as long as you are in Christ. It doesn't matter how hard Satan works to dig up your past, how hard he accuses your conscience, as long as you are turned to Christ, nothing nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you uh, as sinners who are forgiven in Christ. Lord, we pray for those of us who might be struggling in our conscience, would you, by the power of your Spirit, assure us, assure us our salvation in you, uh, your love for us. And Lord, we pray that we'll walk away knowing your great love, being confident that nothing can separate us from you.